Last week, the Heel Tough blog got a chance to sit down with former Tar Heel offensive lineman and former Inside Carolina reporter Mike Ingersoll. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Nothing. I'm uh, just kind of sitting here cooking dinner, and whenever we're done, I'm going to go eat it. All right, yeah, man. So, uh, hey, thank, thanks for taking the time to just talk to us, man. This is uh, this is great, man. Uh, I know you're, uh, you're you're still very invested in the Tar Heels, so uh, this is this is pretty big. So. Um, yeah, you know, I just wanted to start by asking you, you know, two-year starter at right tackle in 09 and, and 2010, um, including starting all 13 games as a senior. Uh, I mean, just talk about, you know, that that moment really when you found out that you were going to be a starter and, and just the emotions that kind of ran through you at that time. Well, I'd had really good tutors, right? So I came up behind Garrett Reynolds and, uh, and I actually had an opportunity to move to guard um, which for what would have been my redshirt sophomore year. And I, I bounced around a little bit at that point. I had gone from, I came in as a tight end. Um, Coach Bunning had moved me to the offensive line. Then Bush Davis came in, moved me back to tight end. Then he moved me back to center. And then he moved me to tackle. And I'd kind of bounced around so much, I was sort of looking for a home. And uh, uh, I still knew it. there was a lot I needed to learn um, about Division One football generally um, to, to be successful. So, I actually turned down the opportunity to play uh, to play guard, potentially start a guard um, as a redshirt sophomore, so that I could keep learning from uh, Garrett Reynolds and Kyle Jolly and those guys that were in front of me that had been playing for so long. And um, and I guess when when it came time for me to actually be that guy, it was uh, it, it was exciting, but it was also something that I'd prepared for. Uh, it was one of those things that I tried to put myself in a position to be ready for for you know the past couple of years. Obviously, like I just told you, I tried to set myself up to be the starter at tackle specifically. Um, so you know when it was when it came time when Garrett graduated and uh, you know it, it, that spot opened up, I, I tried to treat it like it was my position to lose, and I had plenty of competition for it. And I, th- I think that that certainly kept me honest. Yeah, I mean, uh, you talked about it right there. You bounced around a ton, really. You know, that's something that we see pretty commonly in in college football today a lot of those guys that maybe just don't fit at a position or that you know may fit another position of need uh you know a lot of those guys are a little skeptical to move were you at first skeptical to move from tight end did you think that you know that was my position that's what I played in high school and I kind of want to stick there or was it pretty much whatever they threw your way you were kind of like okay let me give this a shot because I I really want to find a way to be you know able to get on the field I mean, one thing Brian Chacos loves to say is the tight ends were the birds, right? Chacos <laughs> was, a, was a highly ranked tight end coming out of high school. They moved into the offensive line. And, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to give up catching passes and having actual stats in the stat book. Um, you know, being out in space and running routes and things like that. You know, that's, you know, being, being what you consider a real athlete. Um, it, it, it was, it was, a, it was a difficult transition from a bride standpoint. But then, you know, after being there for a while, you start to understand that, you know, 300-pound people aren't supposed to move that way. And offensive yeah. and defensive linemen might actually be the best athletes in the world because what human being at that size is supposed to have foot quickness and, and, and coordination and, and center of gravity and balance and things like that? You know, what human being that size is, is supposed to have that? You know, at least somebody just walking around the street. You know, we're, uh, by, all, by all BMI charts, we're morbidly obese and, and should, should be dead. Uh, per per all yeah. medical understanding, but for some reason we're actually out there in the best shape of our lives, and we're you know playing sixty to one hundred snaps every football game. So um, you know it was it was a difficult transition until I until I realized that there was actually a lot of uh, you know from from an athletic standpoint. 
I've worked very hard coming up in my athletic career to, to be considered a, an athletic guy, right? Like not just another body out there, right. but somebody who had some athleticism to him. So, you know, you feel like being bumped to the offensive line is, is a downgrade because you're told your whole life that you can kind of move to any position and from there there's somewhere else you can go. But once you hit the offensive line specifically, that's the end of the road. There's nowhere else you're going after offensive line. And uh, and that holds true about 99% of the time. The exception is somebody like Greg Ellaby, right, who goes defensive line to offensive line and then back to the defensive line. Right, um, right. But that's, you know, 99% of the time, once you hit the O-line, that's the end of the road. So that was... That was kind of the thinking going into it, and Jacobs will tell you the same thing, and any guy that's yeah. ever made that transition will tell you the same thing. But, um, no, once 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 I got accustomed to it, I realized there's there's a lot less pressure when you don't have to catch passes and you don't have the entire stadium watching it. That's number one. And, uh, and number two, you can still be 300-some-odd pounds and, and pretty athletic and, and hang your head on that. So so that's, that's the way I, I decided to approach it, and it ended up serving me well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely did, man. So, I mean, you look at... You know, some of the guys that you played with, guys like Jonathan Cooper, Travis Bond, Russell Bodine, James Hurst. I mean, you know, and you, and you mentioned Garrett Reynolds, Kyle Jolly. I mean, all of these guys, uh, re- really just unbelievable players at Carolina, and a lot of them went on to have really successful NFL careers. I mean, just, uh, you know, talk about the experience of being able to play with guys like that, and then talk about, you know, I kind of asked Travis Bond when I talked to him, you know, just how special of a, of a bond that you guys have on that offensive line. It, it just seems a little bit different than some of the other position groups. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll answer both questions in kind. The, the first question uh, with regard to what it was like playing with those guys, you know, Sam Pittman did a really good job while we were there. Of, uh, he's done it everywhere he's gone. He did it in Tennessee. He was in Tennessee for one year, and he sent all those guys to the NFL. He did the same thing with us. You know, we had, um, you know, the, that 2009 offensive line, or, I mean, yeah, 2000, I'm trying to think, well, it was 2010 offensive line, and then every offensive line after that, so every combination of line he had after that, every one of those guys got, got their shot um, at the NFL, and that was because we were very well coached, and Sam prepared us to be able to, to compete at that level and at least have an opportunity. And, uh, you know, you, you obviously saw that all, you know, all starting five of those offensive linemen at some point ended up. You know, if nothing else in in a in a training camp, I mean, it, people forget. You know, Alan Pelk was with the Raiders. You know, right, I, dude, I loved him so much. Yeah. I never got why people didn't really NFL teams didn't get on the bandwagon. He was such a hard worker, man, and just just his ability. You know, at that at that left guard position was just amazing. Yeah, you know, and Alan did Alan did a lot of things, and he's another guy that you know he was three hundred. 50 pounds for most of his career and he was a heck of an athlete uh, at that size and that's and that's why you know he got his shot I you know I everyone knows my story I, I had my shot um you know Cooper obviously you know consensus all-american first uh, uh first round draft pick James yeah. Hurst just signed a nice shiny new mm-hmm. four-year contract with the Ravens Bodine just we just got news today he signed with the Bills on a two-year uh five million dollar deal which is awesome for him Travis Bond is up there doing incredible things in Canada um, yeah, you know, he's he's one of the premier offensive linemen up there in Canada. Right. You know, and, and every and every and every guy in between. Cam Holland. Cam Holland had a shot with the Chiefs. He was in he was in camp with Kansas City Chiefs. Um, right. It seemed like everybody that we rolled out there at some point got their shot, and that's a testament to uh, you know Sam Pittman and, and and the coaching that we had and playing with that talent level. You know, with of guys across the board makes your life a whole lot easier. You know, and people will wonder, well, you know, why 
you know, why weren't we more productive? And, and there's, you know, maybe a million reasons for that. And I can't give you a straight answer. Um, I would say that, you know, we were, we were fairly productive given the you know, scheme we were in and things like that. Um, but it, we always knew that we had a guy next to us that could play. And just from a, just from a, uh, a confidence standpoint and a, and a comfort level, that made things so much easier for every guy on that line, knowing that he had someone next to him who could hold his own, and he didn't have to really worry about it. Uh, and that, you know, that obviously started with, you know, with 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 my class and with the lines that I was a part of, and then, you know, moving on, you know, through the next three, four years. You know, even even as Coach Fedora took over, a lot of those a lot of those players were Butch Davis products, and a lot of a lot of the offensive linemen were Sam Pittman products. Um, you know, they had a great foundation to be successful. You know, in in Fedora's scheme as well, it really showed you. Uh, how good of players they were, being able to switch over um, between a pro-style scheme and Fedora's, obviously, his pro-spread style. Um, the second question was uh, the bond that we guys have, or the bond that we all have as offensive linemen, and that's, that's kind of one of those cliche things you hear about, the chemistry thing on the offensive line, but it's very it's very true. Uh, you know, we did pretty much everything together. We, we hung out at the bars together. We went to restaurants together. We went to the movies together. We, you know, we had our little pockets of, you know, the closest, off, you know, every every. Every, every guy had his two or three super close offensive linemen, but then we were all close generally. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was just a function of, you know, the offensive line is a, is a pack mentality because, you know, we have to be five guys all playing harmoniously and in sync. So that carries over off the field as well. You know, your quarterbacks and your linebackers, they're kind of the lone wolves, but right. offensive linemen are always, well, we're pack animals, right? We stick together and we do everything together. And, right. you know, you see that. As you see that requirement on the field, and then it also translates to your personal life off the field as well. So, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of those guys still. I actually just talked to Garrett, you know, this past week. I talked to Travis every once in a while. Um, you know, I, I keep in touch with with, with, with a lot, with, with pretty much everyone. I talked to Kyle Jolly this morning. Kyle Jolly, by the way, uh, for any of you have a chance to reach out to him, congratulate him. He's the new offensive line coach for Concord University up in West Virginia. Uh, Concord is a Division II program, but they're one of the they're one of the more successful Division II programs uh, in the history of the uh, of the tiered uh, college football subdivision system. So he's um, he's doing some really good things. Uh, he just left the University of Washington as a GA, and he, he got that head job. So that's that's really good on Kyle. Um, but that's you know we, we we all stay in touch even to this day, and and that 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 bond, that chemistry thing that you form with the offensive line, it's it's a real thing. You know, it's not just some hokey cliche. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it in person, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's awesome being around offensive linemen, man. They just seem to have so much fun with it, and you know, they can, they can seem to joke with each other a lot more than maybe some of the other positions. And yeah, for Kyle Jolly, that's awesome. I, uh, I had seen that he was out there at, at Washington, and now, you know, uh, being, being able to get into, you know, being his, his own, you know, full, a full time, you know, guy. That, that's awesome out there for him. So yeah. Um, so, well, I'll tell you. Well, I'll tell you your last point about how we joke around with each other all the time too. It's actually a good observation. Um, nobody is. It's pretty well known that nobody is more critical of an offensive lineman than another offensive lineman, right? No <laughs> yeah. one will call. No one, no one is more critical of the play style, of the body type, of just the general demeanor of any other offensive lineman than a, than a fellow offensive lineman. So it, <laughs> you know, we're we're really good at, at 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 tearing each other down, but then immediately building each other right back up. You know, we're constantly constantly busting chops. So that's 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 a that's a good observation, and I I haven't thought to even bring it up. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you have some local ties to, you know, this area, you know, right here in Charlotte. 
you played high school football at Butler High School, and you actually got to play your entire college career and high school career uh, with Ryan Houston. So, you know, just talk about really, you know, be the, the Charlotte area and then, you know, the connection maybe that you had with uh, with Ryan. Yeah, so Charlotte area football, we know, started to blow up right around, uh, you know, right around 2002, uh, 2003, which makes sense because that was during the Independence High School heyday, Chris Leak and uh, Mohamed Masquad, Joe right. Cox, Hakeem Nix, those teams. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that was right, that was right as I was coming up. And, uh, you know, it, we, we always, we always knew that Charlotte was kind of an underestimated hotbed for, for college football talent. And it seems like now all the out of state schools have figured it out. Um, you know, schools like Carolina and NC State, Wake Forest, uh, always did a pretty good job of recruiting the Charlotte area. And now what you've seen is, uh, Clemson, Florida, Miami, you're seeing Stanford, Oregon, those West Coast teams now are all starting to come in, which is a different conversation for a different day, but that's a function of how the, um, uh, the world of recruiting has become much flatter, uh, since, um, much flatter, much smaller, much, uh, much more linear, easy to, easier to get to recruits because of the advent of things like, uh, the huddle, uh, the huddle program where you can essentially just send a coach a hyperlink now to your, to your game tape and to your highlight tapes as opposed to actually splicing a VHS tape like I had to do yeah. in Mike Newsom's office. Mike Newsom, the head coach at A.O. Brown in Kannapolis now. Um, I remember splicing those tapes and physically mailing them out to schools and I only knew to send them to the regional schools because I didn't even know there was football, you know, west of Tennessee. So, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's a different world now. But you start to see those schools come into the Charlotte market because they understand that there's some pretty serious talent here and that's, as the population grows in the Charlotte area, that's only going to grow. That's always been the reason why California and Texas and um, Pennsylvania and Florida have been, uh, and Georgia included, uh, have been so so well recruited and have had so much talent come out of there because it's a sheer numbers game. There's just so many bodies yeah, out there. Sure. Charlotte is growing uh, at the same rate that some of those smaller cities like Atlanta did in the early, early to mid-90s. And, and you're going to see a, a boom in recruiting around here as well. Um, the uh, the the relationship that I that, that I have with with Ryan, um, you know, Ryan is is I can't say enough enough good things about Ryan Houston, and and, and you have to kind of get to know him, I guess, to to know this about him. But you know, Ryan was in high school; he was an unbelievable athlete. We knew when he came in as a freshman. I was I was a sophomore. Uh, we were obviously the same year in college, but a year older in high school. So I'd already been in the program at Butler for a year when he came in, and. And we had a lot of really big players come out of Jamar Adams, who uh, played at Michigan, Kenny Moore, who played for Wake Forest uh, back on that Orange Bowl team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of really good players. Uh, Jason Anderson played for the uh, played for Wake Forest, New England Patriots for a little while. Um, a lot of good players come out of that Butler program, and we knew that Ryan was going to be one of the more special ones. And that was just because when he came in as a you know uh, as a freshman, he was six foot two and two hundred forty pounds, and he could outrun anybody and run through anybody so you know we knew we had something special on our hands but then i actually got to start you know got to know ryan you know obviously football but we also played basketball together we played the same position um you know so we were we spent a lot of time together and you know i knew how good of a guy ryan was and how how good of a player he could be at the college level when he decided to come to unc um I, I was i was ecstatic and ryan grew as a person uh he grew as a player um He's he's a dad now. He's he's he's, he's one of the best dads I've I've ever seen, and he, and he was in college when he when he had his first baby. Um, you know, he's he's a very loving, caring person, and 
he put in a lot of work that I don't think it's, gets a whole lot of credit. You know, Ryan was a casualty of the NCAA investigation. He was a projected third or fourth round pick coming out in 2010 when the uh, NCAA came in preseason and, and sort of dismantled us. And he was one of those guys that, you know, they made sit because they had suspicion, I'm putting that in air quotes, suspicion that he may have done something. And then they found out, well, I think they found out much sooner, but they decided to let us know right around uh, week seven that Ryan was clear to play. Well, we had to sit him the whole time because if we played any of those guys that were being held out for that exact reason, um, we would have to forfeit any games that they played in had they been found to have done something wrong. Obviously, 98% of them we found out, you know, ultimately found out they didn't do anything wrong. Ryan was in that boat. Right. At that point, he decided to just take a redshirt year. Gio had torn his ACL in uh, training camp, so Gio, had, Gio didn't play. And Ryan was slated to be the feature back the next year with uh, AJ Blue, and right. Geo burst on the scene, and we no longer, you know, it, it's not Ryan's fault. We just we didn't need, you know, a third down back, you know, an exclusive third down back because Geo could kind of carry the load, right? You know, doing yeah, everything. Exactly. So Ryan's carries dropped, and and that directly affected his NFL stock, and that's and that's a shame because Ryan Definitely. put himself in a position to be very successful. Uh, with dropping the weight, you know, I don't know if fans remember, but when he was a freshman, he was 280 pounds yeah. playing running back. Yeah. And he was still out running people. He was he, he still had the center of gravity, and he still had the moves, and he could still, you know, he could still hit a backside cut like nobody's business. Um, but once he dropped that weight and he got down to about 235, he was a, he was he was the high school wrecking ball Ryan Houston again. And uh, you know, it's, it's 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 a shame that he didn't get the opportunity that I think he earned. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, you can blame the NCAA or you can you know, blame whatever other reason you can think of. But that's the guy who deserved a shot and, and, and didn't get uh, didn't get the the full breadth of the, the NFL experience that he should have he should have received. But he's also back in Charlotte now, and he's he's uh, he's, he's training athletes and he's doing a really good job at it. And uh, he's, he's he's getting pretty successful. So if you you have a high school athlete that needs a trainer, Ryan Houston's in town, and you know he's one of the better better specimens to ever come out of Charlotte. And, He's back here helping helping kids. So yeah, I think he was down at the uh, that that VTO camp that they had this past weekend. So I think that's uh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's something that uh, I, I actually almost uh, almost coached that with, with with Vince. Vince was my first roommate in college, um, and I actually used to help coach coach that VTO camp with with him. And there's uh, there's a lot of talent runs through that camp too. That's a very well run that's a very well run operation they have there. And um, I had some other work stuff that came up and I couldn't participate. But Ryan has been doing that pretty consistently. I believe Quan Sturdivant's helping him. Uh, Al Mullins has also been helping him with the defensive line. Um, he's really, you know, that's a big Carolina connection there for any anybody who, who wants to see some of the old guys out coaching. That's that's a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, it's so great to see them giving back. Uh, you talked a little bit about the academic thing. We're not going to try to get into a blame game on here but back in 2014, I read, you know, there was an article that came out and it was you, you know, defending Carolina pretty vehemently. You know, why was that important to you to defend not only yourself, but the university when it came to what was being said about, you know, the university on a national level? Well, I'm not, I'm not real big on allowing, uh, I'm not real big on allowing false statements to go unchecked, right? Especially when they're being spread that, spread that viciously. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was pervasive throughout the national media. It started obviously with the local media. Um, and really what it all boiled down to was 
you know, yes, I had pride at my university and, you know, yes, I had pride in where I came from um, and the things that we did there. But really, I was just tired of me and my teammates having to defend our degrees. Um, there was this misinformation campaign that seemed to go out, uh, you know, that there were these fake classes. Nobody was going to nobody was going to class. We didn't do any work and we were just giving grades. You know, I joke with people all the time. I wish somebody would have told me I didn't have to go to class. I, it would have saved me a whole lot of early mornings. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Of, it would have saved me a lot of time writing papers if I knew I could have just had someone do it for me and I didn't have to do it or they were just going to give me an A no matter what I did. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's and, 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 and you know, it's obvious I'm, I don't have the wool pulled over my eyes here. I mean, I, look, it's, it's big time college athletics. You know, I, this that sort of stuff. You know, guys get help from tutors and guys get help from professors, but we didn't we didn't get help from professors and help from tutors. And I don't mean that to sound um, you know sneaky or you know somehow sly. It was uh, you know we got we got help from those people because we showed that we cared because we sat in the front row of our class because we took notes and because we you know we did our best to stay awake even though we had six a.m. workouts right before eight a.m. class. Uh, you know, and we showed. We, we went to office hours and we did extra work and we did things like that. And in those situations, that's typically when a professor helped us. Those are the exact same situations where a professor will help any student. And there yeah. was this line that was drawn in the sand differentiating us as, as, as athletes, and I purposely don't use the term student-athlete, um, but us as athletes versus regular students. And my contention always was, well, if you want us to be treated differently than regular students, then treat us differently than regular students, um, you know, and don't require us to have these uh, to, to to have these same uh, same restrictions. You know, we 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 have a we have a we have a, a essentially a time restriction on our schedule. Right. We don't have classes from eight to from eight to twelve every single day because of the way practice works out. You know, things like that. And that's yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm very much in the camp of there has to be a better way. Um, there has to be, there has to be, well, not a better way, but there has to be any way, um, to compensate student athletes. And that's, that's, that's a different, comp- that's a different conversation for, for a different podcast. But, um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That a lot of that, a lot of that boils down to my experience at UNC and seeing exactly what, uh, one be- what benefit was conferred to the university by the revenue sport athletes. And the, but, but we're getting back to the topic we were on. I defended Carolina, and the reason why I continue to defend Carolina is because I grew up in Mint Hill, North Carolina, and everybody here is a Tar Heel fan, but nobody ever seems to be able to get out of here to, to, to get to Carolina, and I had that opportunity, and I had a chance to live out a dream, and I still hold Carolina in this idealistic, uh, idealistic esteem that you know, it's, it's still the university of the people. It's still the school that I grew up loving. It's, you know, the reason why I always had Carolina blue basketball shoes and sneakers and clothes and, and I had Tar Heel posters on my wall and my room was painted Carolina blue when I was a little kid growing up. And, you know, it was, it was a dream that I got to live out. And Carolina will always be that magical, special place to me. And nothing's ever going to take that away. And for us to be disparaged publicly, in the way that we were, um, and when I say we, I mean the football team and, and, and athletes of Carolina generally, um, for that to have gone down the way that it did from people who had no idea who we were and no idea what our daily schedule looked like and no idea the things that we did, put up with, had to listen to, had to on, 
Um, for that campaign of misinformation to continue to be spread, uh, at some point it had to stop. Um, it still goes on, but I think the NCAA's recent findings finally put a little closure to it. Um, you know, unfortunately, we will always be we will always be the stone and the glass house um, in the eyes of the public. So we, you know, we, it's hard for Carolina to. Uh, it, it's it's we we have a black eye that I don't think was self-imposed as people make it seem. Um, and unfortunately, it's going to take us a long time to clear that up. I think. Yeah. And I wish it weren't the case. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, these people that want to come out and say this, first of all, they don't know the experiences that a lot of people go through in college. I mean, you know, I've, I've been a college student, and I wasn't even a college athlete. And I know it's definitely not easy being having to balance life with, you know, in, in certain cases a job or something like that. I can't even imagine being a student athlete where you've got to go, like you said, to that 6 a.m. lift, and then you got to be at your 8 a.m. class. You know, for the rest of us, you know, we get to sleep in and roll into that 8 a.m. class, and we're the ones complaining. Meanwhile, you know, the athletes are like, well, you know, I've been up already for two hours, and, you know, I got, I got, you know, something I got to go through later on today. We got another workout, or I got a, a, a film session that we got to go to. So it's, it's definitely, these people that are, that are criticizing, they are extreme hypocrites, and they know absolutely nothing about what it takes to be a student athlete. So I'm glad that you definitely come out and defend this university, and that's awesome to hear someone that's as passionate as, you know, as me and a lot of other Tar Heel fans, uh, you know, that, that was able to live out his dream as a Tar Heel. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, just just the uh, the last couple of things here. Um, I did want to ask you. You do do the inside Carolina uh, some some stuff for them at times. Um, you know, I, I me being a guy that's trying to get into broadcasting, why was it important for you to get into broadcasting specifically? You know, covering the Tar Heels. Well, I mean, I, I've I've always had a very good relationship with those guys. They were uh, they were they were fair to me when I was playing. And Buck Sanders, uh, who runs inside Carolina, is, is is a great guy, and I had a relationship, obviously, with um, with Greg Barnes. Don Callahan covered me when I was in high school. He was, uh, you know, one of my first interviews I did with a, you know, a college. Uh, I guess we'll call it a college recruiting website. Um, right. But uh, you know, those Inside Carolina does really good work, and it, it's 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 nice to be able to share opinions about the university. Uh, on a platform that's, uh, you know, not affiliated with the university um, directly, but that has a stake in it. You know, most, most if not all, of the Inside Carolina employees are Carolina grads or have some, some connection to Chapel Hill one way or another. And it's nice to be able to contribute to that. Um, I, always, I, always, uh, I always gravitated towards journalism. I always gravitated towards, towards broadcasting. And I wanted to, you know, when I, when I had, I'm obviously an attorney now, um, but, you know, when I had the opportunity to, to come on board with them, it, it scratched an edge for me. And that's why I continued to do it. And, um, you know, it, it, it gives me an outlet to, to talk Carolina sports. And it's something, you know, off the beaten path from what I do every day in my, in my profession, my current group. So it's, it's a nice change of pace for me. And, and, and I get to work with some really great people. And, and I get to cover Tar Heel sports at the same time. And I don't know if there's anything that could be better than that. Right. Yeah, definitely. And that's. That's definitely the feel I'm hoping. So hopefully one day I can get somewhere with with them or the Toriel Sports Network. That'd be a dream. But uh, so um, last thing, I was doing some some prep and we found a guy online that is has the same exact name as you and is a 
He's a lower, like, amateur MMA fighter. Or you, please tell me that you're not an amateur MMA fighter. Please tell me that Jeremy Boyd <laughs> is the only one that's trying to get into that out of the former times. I am. <laughs> I am. I am most Jay Boyd, man. You want to talk about another really? You want to talk about another good kid, Jay Boyd? That is a good kid. Um, <laughs> no, I, I certainly am not the. Jay is the only one I know of who's trying to do the <laughs> MMA thing. Um, I uh, um, no, I have uh, I have nothing to do with that. There's apparently there's apparently that guy, and then there's an actor out of Chicago also named Mike Ingersoll, um, and those are the only two other people that I know of, um, at least that pop up on Google uh, with any <laughs> with any regularity that I've ever seen besides myself. So there's there's not a lot of Ingersolls running around. Um, there is <laughs> apparently an attorney who. Uh, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a major law firm with Ingersoll in the name, and then there's also a smaller law firm out of, uh, based out of Winston that, uh, that I got to deal with, Mark Ingersoll, M-A-R-C. Um, I've actually been getting some of his mail down at, the, down at my offices here in Charlotte. I've been having to forward it on to him. So that's how I found another one of them. Wow, there are man. a whole lot of Ingersolls running around. Yeah, small world. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, well, we we uh we hope you're doing well and everything like that. And uh, I know that you're uh you're you're probably trying to keep up with with this year's team and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I know uh it, you got to go um eat that dinner that you were preparing, man. So uh, hey, thanks thanks for coming on with us. Uh, hey, just uh if you if you want to just uh give uh you know the people where they can follow you at on Twitter or uh, wherever you want to give that to, and then we'll uh we'll we'll head off, man. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've got I've got a Twitter uh, Twitter handle, which is Michael Ingersoll. The uh, it's M I C H A E L, and then N G E R S O L L. The L, the first L, counts as an I, also at least the way it's supposed to look there. And I'm also I'm obviously on Facebook, uh, and I've got Instagram. My Instagram is just Mike Ingersoll. Um, you can follow me there. I, you know, I, I, I tweet fairly often, and uh, both for Inside Carolina and in my and in my private uh, in my private capacity. So. Uh, I try to keep things entertaining and, and as as non controversial as possible. But if I if I tick off a state fan here and there, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not too upset about that. <laughs> there you go, man. Hey, uh, thank you so much, and uh, we'll definitely have to talk to you later on in the season. All right, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate you All having right. me on. Thank you so much. You have a great night, Mike. You too. All right, man. Bye. <laughs>